afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Today is January 25, 2021. And if you're with me today, it's to do a year in review and to look forward at what's up in New Jersey workers' compensation. Uh, this is a topic that is near and dear to me. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, let's try to make this as meaningful and useful as we possibly can. Today, we are going to discuss uh, the new handbooks, some changes we have here at the firm, things we're changing for 2021. I'm going to talk about the most significant case law changes that occurred in 2020 and how they're going to impact our defense handling practices for 2021. Uh, I'm going to talk, unfortunately, I have to talk about COVID-19. Sorry, guys. I know we're all sick of it. I'm going to answer a couple of new questions that have come up recently. And my goal here today is to give you as much practical advice and useful takeaways for next year as I possibly can. Uh, so this is totally live. Uh, it's interactive. Please type in any questions you have. If I say anything that sounds crazy and you'll discover I am very opinionated, uh, please let me know so that I can uh, respond to it. And if you type in a question, I will at the end, uh, just say your first name so you know that I'm talking to you. I will read the question aloud for everybody and then I will do my best to answer the question. So uh, please feel free to type in uh, any questions that you have, any opinions, anything you wanna share, uh, because we're gonna be having a little bit of fun today. This is a fun topic. I love looking back and I like looking ahead and trying to predict the future. And uh, you know, hey, let me know, hey, Greg, you were wrong last year, or Greg, I, I disagree with your opinions this year. I think we'll have a little fun here today. So I'm glad you joined uh, and here we go. I wanna talk just very briefly about some new stuff at the firm. Uh, in 2020, we implemented these new firm-wide email buttons. So every email you get from us, uh, you get these little clicks. You can click on them and do things. Uh, one is to refer a file, a little self-serving. One is for general questions. It gets right to my desk or my partner John's desk. One is to download a copy of our new handbooks. And I want everyone to take advantage of that. That takes you right to the page where you can instantly download a copy of our 2021 handbooks. Please use that. Uh, one is to sign up for live training. And the last button to me is the most important button. Uh, it is in every single email that is sent by this firm everywhere, which says radar service. And I'm really looking forward, and I do get from clients and uh, sometimes even from adversaries, reviews of how our attorneys and our paralegals are serving them. And it's really useful for me as a leader uh, to be able to look at those reviews and then act on them. So uh, please click those buttons, particularly if you're a firm client. And the radar service button is probably the most important button on there. Uh, and I do appreciate those who have provided me um, with some feedback that we've been able to take to our teams. So thank you so much. All right, 2021 handbooks. I'm hoping that everybody who is part of this webinar already has a copy of one of our brand new 2021 handbooks. If you don't, guys, let's get going. It's easy to get, loislc.com slash publications. New Jersey handbook, and today, by the way, is our New Jersey Workers' Compensation Year Review. Uh, pretty much everything that I'm gonna talk about is actually in here in terms of the year in review. Now, we had to add, I know nobody wants to hear about COVID-19 anymore. I'm sorry I have to talk about it. We did add a completely new chapter this year on COVID-19 and infectious disease claims in general uh, to answer questions, talk about the presumption in New Jersey, et cetera. It's really the biggest statutory change that's been around in the last couple of years. And here we go. So there is a new chapter on that. We also have a new chapter, a lot of additions to the chapter and complete re rewrite really on defending medical provider claims because there was very significant case law changes in New Jersey on medical provider claims. You guys should be winning all of your medical provider claims involving extra jurisdictional claims. Uh, and what I mean by that is you should be getting dismissals. We've gotten literally, not an exaggeration, hundreds of dismissals in the last three months. 
on extrajurisdictional medical provider claims. I'm going to talk a little bit about that case law and what that means. Now, if you're looking at this book and you're saying, Greg, uh, 2021 is a lot thinner than 2020 was. Yes, it is. Uh, because a lot of the updating to this book was removing stuff that was either redundant or the case law was bad or just it wasn't that important. So we really tried to pare this book down, get it as thin as we can and have it be as concise and up to date as possible. So if you don't have a copy of this book yet, please uh, download it right now. Uh, and if you want a physical copy, and particularly for those of you who are leading teams and you want a whole bunch of copies for your whole team, uh, let us know. We'll put those in the mail to you. So that's New Jersey. Now, New York Handbook. If you don't have a copy of this, grab it. New York Handbook, unlike New Jersey, got a lot thicker this year. And that's because New York likes to make it more complicated every single year. Of course, there's a chapter on COVID-19, but there's a whole new section about strategic and practical impacts of appeals in New York workers' comp cases a lot of uh, the credit on permanency and how that's going to help you reduce exposure in New York and of course risk transfer. All right, last one I'm going to talk about is our Longshore book, completely revised for 2021. Uh, we have seen more and more and more Longshore cases and more cases with Longshore implications, uh, particularly some of our construction projects that are working uh, near or adjacent to waterway. We're seeing more and more Longshore cases. We are defending them like crazy. All right, so I'm going to skip uh, this. Let's keep moving along. Um, you're here today because you're part of our normal webinar schedule. You're getting the notices. I don't know if you're even knowing what the topic is before you jump in, uh, but we do have a, a month-long process. It's every Monday, there's a different webinar topic. And I say join in. The first Monday, my partner, Tashir Razul, leads a construction defense webinar. The, the second Monday is on risk transfer, all jurisdictions, led by Chris Major. And then I do the New York and New Jersey webinars because this is my passion. This is what I enjoy and what I do for fun. So uh, if you haven't heard of those other ones, join in. They're a lot of fun. I would also encourage you, if you're a, a workers' comp nerd like me, check out my partner Christian Cisson's podcast. It's called Third Fridays. He's the number four workers' comp uh, podcast in the world. Uh, we're very proud of that. I guess he just got a ranking, so he's very psyched. So join it. Now, his podcast uh, is very, very, very in-depth, and it's really like 201 level. It's a lot higher level, much more substantive, a lot more case law ex uh explorations than we do in these sort of general monthly sort of 101 level like workers comp light sort of webinars that I do that really just walk people through basic topics so if you really want to get into the next level I would point you out uh, the third Friday's podcast all right what was new for us this year what was a big deal in 2020 well in 2019 we started doing case level analytics and providing report parts to our clients so if you're one of our clients we send you uh, what we call our own sort of report card. Here's what we saw, here's what we did, um, here's what our average case cost was, here's what our average time to close was for you, here's what kind of cases we're defending for you. You're starting to run analytics on a, on a big scale. Again, in any one day, we have well over 2,000 cases in active litigation in 31 courts in multiple jurisdictions. So we've got a pretty good case population to run analytics on, and we are sharing that with our clients. We started that in 2019, 2020, we put it in-house and now we are sharing dashboards. And as you walk through the office, our team members, everybody can see what the closure stats are, what where the cases are coming from, what courts are hot, what's going on. We really started in, uh, bringing that in-house. Uh, what's new for 2020 and 2021 is providing customized metrics 
to clients. So if you're a client of us and you're saying, Greg, I need to know how many of my cases are on appeal, or Greg, I need to know how many of my cases are coming from a specific location, jurisdiction, or hub, for example, we can absolutely give you that information and that's something that we're working on. So uh, if you're interested in case analytics and you're kind of a data nerd like we are, uh, we got you covered and I think this is gonna be a big trend for us, particularly as our case counts are growing and growing and growing. Uh, the analytics are becoming more and more predictive towards the future. And so uh, starting to use the analytics to predict the success of potential appeals and that type of stuff, that's really what we're into right now. So, all right, New Jersey, let's talk about New Jersey specific stuff, what changed and what's changing. All right, so first of all, New Jersey's maximum benefit rate just went up this month. It is now $969 even. Uh, this is a big increase from 945, which is where it was. And I keep getting this question like, Greg, could 2022's rate go down? Can these rates go down? Uh, and there is precedent for that actually in New Jersey. Between in 2010, the rate was $794. In 2011, the rate was $792. It actually went down $2. Now, the average or the benefit rate in New Jersey is based on the state average weekly wage. And in New Jersey, when in 2010, the rate was based on 2009's average weekly wage. It's always a trailing indicator, it's always a year behind. And at that time, uh, New Jersey was reeling from the impact of the banking shock, which occurred in 2008. So, you know, you, you don't regulate the banks for a while. Apparently, a lot of them go out of business and lay people off and merge, and there was a lot of issues. That really impacted state average weekly wage in 2019 with state average weekly wage coming down. Because remember, state average weekly wage is taking everybody working. And so if you've got bankers not getting these giant bonuses, if you've got people in the workforce who are not, not getting the overtime they used to get because the bank is closed, that actually impacted the wage enough to push down the, the, the rate uh, for 2011. And 2011's rate was lower than 2010. Why am I talking about this? Well, right now in New Jersey, you got one in eight people out of work. We're seeing tremendous shocks to our economy. We're seeing the people that are working are working in part-time positions. They're working in interim positions. I mean, I live in New Jersey. You go down the main street in my town, every other business is closed. The restaurants are gone. We've destroyed our economy. I don't know when it's gonna come back. So we are looking at this. Uh, and I do think there's a potential based on the way the state average weekly wage is calculated. Then in 2022 or 2023, you might actually see rates come down as an impact of what happened in 2020. It's sad. Uh, but it's just something to look ahead to. Um, now, the courts in New Jersey have been closed since March, right? Uh, it's crazy what's going on in the court system. Uh, there is no unified plan uh, for uh, courts to hear cases. And this has been going on since March. So each judge has issued sort of their own set of rules or orders, uh, how they want to have cases conferenced, how they're going to weigh in on case, how you're going to put a settlement through. Some are doing it telephonically. A couple of them are, are using our WebEx system with us. Many are just doing whatever they want. Uh, this has led to a massive slowdown in closures in New Jersey. According to the statistics provided by the director of the Division of Workers' Compensation in his state of the state address in on December 21st of 2020, 75 to 80% decrease in closures in 2020 as compared to 2019. So if you're looking at your defense counsel, you're going, what the heck is happening? How come we can't get these cases closed? It's because court closures are truly impacting our ability to close cases. And statistically across the entire division, you're seeing closures down 80%, 75 to 80% according to the director's approximations. Uh, that's very significant. The entire case population in terms of new cases filed in 2020 20 shrank 10% in New Jersey. Probably represents uh, the leading edge 
of a new indicator. And we would expect in 2021 that to go down probably even more as the impact of these lockdowns, uh, shutdowns, whatever you want to call them, ripples out through this economy and destroys the rest of whatever's uh, successful and operating in New Jersey, which by the way, outside of the public sector, it's not a lot. So as the case population shrank last year, 10%, I think we can expect filings to be down again in 2021. The only bright spot for New Jersey workers' compensation in terms of claims volume and new cases filed is medical provider applications, which I'm about to talk about. Uh, those did increase. The number for 2019 was 7,243. As of the last count, December 1, 2020, it's the last date I have statistics for, it was up over 8,000. So that's a very significant increase in medical provider claims. Now, a number of those uh, are, of course, extraterritorial or cross-jurisdictional. Those should all get dismissed. You should be prevailing on those. Uh, but many of them aren't. So uh, this is definitely something to keep your eyes on. It seems like accident traumatic injury cases are just going to keep coming down because people aren't working you can't take one in eight people and take them out of the workforce and expect workers comp claims to rise it's not going to happen uh and the medical provider claims are increasing so that's where that uh, change in volume is coming in so that's something for us all to be looking at and beginning to deal with more and more in 2021. the last thing is uh, case life cycle published by the Division of Workers' Compensation has come down slightly to 26.7 weeks uh, of the, or 26.7 months, excuse me, for the average litigated claim. Now remember that's only dates of litigation. That's from the date the formal litigation is filed to the date the formal litigation is closed, and that's averaging all cases. Uh, that's slightly lower than it was in 2019. Um, in 2019, case life was 27 months and change. Now it's down to 26 months and change. It's obviously still years too long, right, for, for a litigated case to go on. Uh, but that is the current stat for what the uh, closure rate is of a New Jersey workers' comp case. And again, that's not controlling for case type or uh, jurisdiction, et cetera, meaning venue that it's been, uh, located in. All right. Let's talk about the only thing that's growing and grew in 2020, and it is likely again to grow in 2021, and that's medical provider claims. What is a medical provider claim? Well, now they are about 20%, so one in five of all New Jersey workers' compensation litigated cases is really just a medical provider saying, you didn't pay me enough for the medical treatment I provided to your workers' comp claim. It's become one in five cases. And again, 10 years ago, this was like one in 30 at best or, or even less and in fact they weren't even filing medical provider claims they were just going by way of intervener into an existing workers comp case uh, these are venued in workers compensation court and the provider is claiming that they are entitled to usual and customary payment instead of whatever you paid them even if it was paid under another state's fee schedule um, these are, have been adjudicated to have a six-year statute of limitations that case law came out in 2019 uh, how these things normally resolve is the medical provider comes into court and says, uh, look, I provided treatment to your workers' comp claimant. You didn't pay me enough. Now pay me again, and I want to get paid more this time. Okay, so that's how these cases arise. How do they resolve? Well, typically, uh, before October of 2020, we were saying, all right, well, let's see how valid, valid this claim is. Let's look at the usual and customary amount. Let's dispute it. Let's deny it. Let's defend this. Often there would be an exchange of discovery, but 99% of the time, these things resolve by way of a uh, dismissal, a voluntary dismissal by the medical provider, and usually some money being paid, again, out of court to resolve the alleged medical underpayment. That's how most of them resolved. This all changes 
as of October 7th, 2020. And that's when case law comes out that says, in order for the Division of Workers' Compensation to address these medical provider claims, the medical provider bringing the claim actually has to have jurisdiction in the Division of Workers' Compensation. Now, uh, we've been at the forefront of arguing that these extraterritorial claims shed no place in New Jersey workers' comp court. And there were all sorts of arguments that were made against that position. That position is now the position of the New Jersey Appellate Division, and we have seen hundreds of cases closed based on that position. So if you have a case in which the claimant, for example, is a New York workers' comp claimant, and they go and get medical care in New Jersey, and then the New Jersey medical provider brings a medical provider claim against you in New Jersey and claims that you owe them usual and customary, and what you paid them under New York's medical fee schedule was not enough money, the appellate division now says that New Jersey has no jurisdiction to hear that case. So what does the medical provider do? Now, the only thing they can do is go before workers' compensation board in New York and make the argument that somehow they're entitled to more than the fee schedule. The board's not having it. And so those, these cases are resolving. And most importantly, we're getting the New Jersey litigations dismissed uh, just uh, based on papers. So we strongly recommend that you pursue this. Uh, the uh, appellate division case says that residency alone in New Jersey, or even just getting the treatment in New Jersey, doesn't create jurisdiction in New Jersey. So for our clients who have Pennsylvania workers' comp claimants who are traveling into New Jersey in order to beat the fee schedule, uh, or New York workers' comp claimants, or Connecticut workers' comp claimants who are traveling into New Jersey for medical care, and then you're getting whacked for these huge fees, you should be winning on these. You should be getting these things dismissed. And we are getting them dismissed at the clip of like 50 a week. So uh, you should be pushing on your current defense counsel if it's not us to do this, uh, because this is an amazing way to reduce exposure and limit uh, your exposure. And what we've seen is, instead of having to pay New Jersey's crazy usual and customary scheme, we're now paying the other state's fee schedule and closing the case. All right, I have to talk about it. I'm sorry, nobody wants to talk about it. COVID-19, apparently it's a thing. Um, there is a new law in New, in New Jersey that says that there is a rebuttable presumption that your COVID-19 affection uh, of an employee, essential employee, is work-related. Now, unfortunately, the uh, uh, statute itself defines essential workers, anybody who's been identified as an essential worker in an executive order, of which there's been about 90 plus executive orders, 77 of which have continued to classify basically everybody in New Jersey who doesn't work in a gym uh, in, as a lifeguard or in a casino as an essential employee. So unfortunately, it means that most of our employees are gonna follow on, are gonna fall as an essential worker. Again, apparently uh, this emergency is continuing to go on forever and uh, we're all into these executive orders. Uh, unfortunately, this also means that you're gonna see more and more of these claims. Now, to be frank, we're not seeing a ton of these things come in because most people who are getting COVID go get medical care, sick for a couple of weeks, they come back to work, right? And the numbers of people of working age, it's like 99.9%. The average age of death in New Jersey for COVID-19 is 81 years old. Uh, with extraordinarily rare exception, 81 year olds are not in the workforce anymore. If you are, you did something really wrong. Um, so what we do when these claims are made, and again, they're quite rare. These are not constituting a large proportion of our hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, in fact, in this office, thousands of workers' comp cases we're defending. What do we do when the claims are made? First, we still recommend disputing most based on lack of causation. 
if they file a formal claim petition, our recommendation is in general, file an answer disputing causation. Um, these are exposure claims. They have to prove that the infection arose in the workplace, that it happened there. There's lots of issues, and we've talked about this in prior webinars with chronicity and specificity, particularly of the mRNA tests and certainly any of the tests that are just uh, testing immune response. And so we prevailed on these kinds of arguments. We've identified experts who have uh, even done epidemiological analysis to show that these cases are not arising out of in the course of employment. So we are challenging and disputing the uh, presumption. Traumatic specific accident claims, again, we still recommend, even when there's a pinprick, even when the person's saying a needle prick, even when the person's saying I had uh, I was in, uh, employed in a COVID-19 uh, prevalent area and I have people coughing on me all day, we're still saying most of these should be disputed and put to their proofs, uh, particularly those in which the sequelae has to be challenged. Uh, medical investigation, employer investigation, all the normal investigations. Sometimes we're gonna lose. Now, we haven't yet, but it's possible. Uh, remember, even if you lose on the issue of causal relationship, there is no presumption regarding impairment. So it still falls upon the petitioner and the respiratory expert uh, to prove that there is some permanent impairment related to this exposure. Being sick is not enough to create a permanency exposure, and that's very important. The second thing is I want everyone to be very aware of the uh, psychiatric throw-ins that are happening with these uh, uh, workers' comp. COVID-19 cases. All of a sudden, everyone has PTSD. Now they're afraid of working in any capacity, interacting with any of the general public. They're worried about anything that could ever happen to them. Uh, that is a fear for, that is not confined or peculiar to any one workplace. There's nothing distinctive about any one workplace. And so for that reason, uh, most of those psychiatric or, or throw-in sequelae cases should fail. You should be disputing those. All right. Um, one of the last things I'm going to talk about in terms of new and something that was very useful, lots of risk transfer opportunity now in New Jersey. We have new case law in New Jersey, which says that when you are standing in the shoes of the workers' compensation petitioner and subrogating, so they've, let's imagine they've gotten into a car accident um, and you've paid them workers' compensation benefits because the car accident is truly work-related. Then you go to recovery against the actual tortfeasor, the person who actually caused the crash. Prior case law, prior positions of the courts were, well, you were limited by whatever limitation on lawsuit option had been selected by the claimant or the petitioner. New case law says that's not true and you are not limited by whatever limitation on lawsuit option they took, which means you may be able to bring actions uh, that the plaintiff themselves in their native capacity as the injured party would not be able to bring. This really greatly expands your opportunity for risk transfer in New Jersey. Uh, that's case law that changed in 2020, and that's been very useful for us in obtaining better recoveries for our client. Uh, we have a whole section here, an entire team that does nothing but risk transfer, subrogation, and reimbursement actions. Um, Chris Major just did a training uh, two weeks ago on sort of the do's and don'ts and practical aspects of overcoming your burden, seeking subrogation, and even going after ride-sharing companies like uh, Uber or Lyft, and even transportation network companies like DoorDash, Grub, Grubhub, et cetera. So even though your petitioner may have had a limitation on lawsuit or a limitation on the amount they can recover, the case law in New Jersey now is that you don't, as the workers' compensation carrier, that somehow your rights actually exceed the rights of the claimant in their first party case. It's kind of amazing, it's great, we've been capitalizing it like crazy. 
It's also been useful in other state claims. We're defending New York workers' comp claims where the accident, the car accident took place in New Jersey. Guess what? You get the benefit of that New Jersey uh, lack of carve out. So I, you know, there's a lot of places to go with this. And when you're looking ahead at what's gonna impact maybe reducing your overall exposure, getting better recovery, better risk transfer opportunities for your clients, uh, this is someplace we'd be looking. All right, last thing, let's look ahead and take a look particularly about the state of litigation in the division right now. First of all, we've seen a huge number of retirement of judges, uh, retirements in December of 2020. We just had three retirements now in January of 2020. Only two replacement judges, Judge Prasad and Judge Hopke, have been appointed to the bench to replace that. Now, there are more judges in the pipeline, and they have to be approved with the consent of the Senate in New Jersey. That's going to happen. Uh, but right now, uh, you're going to see your court lists are starting to shift in some of these jurisdictions. Starting to, some, I say jurisdictions, I really mean vicinage, um, you know, the individual county courts where the workers' comp cases are pending. That means this is a good time to shift and start to think about where you want your cases to be and where they're going to be. Um, unfortunately, in 2021, I predicted there'll be more COVID-19 cases filed, particularly as people aren't able to come back to any kind of gainful employment. I'm particularly weary of these throw-in psychiatric sequelae cases. We're seeing more and more of these PTSD cases uh, that are being just kind of thrown into the case. Those should be vigorously defended in our opinion. You should be closing medical provider claims in 2021 massively. Um, we're seeing our case inventory of medical provider claims I think, I think we're down to about 60% of our prior inventory just based on the case law changing. This is a huge win for our clients. This is a huge win and something we should be pursuing. Okay, last question is, when are the courts gonna reopen? When can we expect the courts uh, to allow both litigants to come back to court and to start operating on more normalized procedures, meaning courtless getting called every day, we're not doing telephone conferences that 90% of the plaintiff's attorneys don't even bother to call into, et cetera. All of these barriers to closing cases. Uh, the answer is we've got no guidance. We've got some hints that it might be the spring. Uh, and certainly the vaccination is off to a horrible start in New Jersey uh, with uh, vaccination points where have already run out with all of their 1As and 1Bs. Uh, so we're looking at weeks and weeks and weeks in delay in vaccination, which I have to assume is going to be one of the things that allows the courts to reopen. Entertainingly, just because everybody hates attorneys, uh, the New Jersey State Bar Association is currently litigating or arguing with the Department of Health that attorneys should be bumped up on the list uh, to the highest uh, uh, priority for getting vaccinations first in New Jersey. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, I don't think there's anything really particularly special why we would bump up above like public safety worker or health worker. Seems kind of crazy. Uh, but okay, that's what uh, the Bar Association is doing. All right. Uh, so that's what's happening on reopening courts. But I, these are the things we're going to be looking at. I think in 2021, it's going to be a lot of risk transfer. We're going to see a lot of courts shifting due to judge retirements. Hopefully, we're going to see the courts reopen. Uh, and we're going to see a lot of action on medical provider claims, including a Supreme Court decision likely. In my opinion, it's going to likely just deny uh, the, uh, the certification or even review of the appellate level decision. But we'll see. Uh, that's one of my predictions. We can see it next year if I was right. All right. I'm hoping that there's some fun questions and answers. I've been getting some questions recently on, on new stuff, uh, so I really enjoy that. Let's take a look at this question. Um, Lee asked the question, Gregs, because of the state of unemployment in New Jersey, can we expect reopeners to increase? Uh, can you provide stats on the increase of reopeners in the last five to 10 years? Yeah, we did have stats on reopeners. Actually, they were lower in 2020 than they were in 2019. Um, 
and they're they're not a significant a real uh, contributor to the overall new case filing in a year. I can tell you that at the time of the director's um, address on December 21, there were about 25,000 cases filed in New Jersey and only about 2,000 of those were reopeners, like one in 10. So it is not a, in 2020, it wasn't a huge significant contributor to a number of cases. But Lee, I think you're right that systemically when there is lower employment, there's no barrier to what else are you gonna do? You're gonna, you're gonna renew your workers' comp claim. You're gonna come back to the trough and try to feed again. So it is possible. And these are the kinds of cases that we would expect to see reopened. Um, just in general, everybody, I, I hope we know on a reopener case in New Jersey, you always settle those by way of lump sum dismissal, section 20. That's why we have section 20 to get rid of these cases. I do not believe in second, third, fourth, fifth reopeners. Something went drastically wrong and I'd rather try the case than allow that to happen. So that's uh, really something that we're arguing. Uh, the other question I've got today, um, I'm gonna answer this in general, this came from Christine. And the question was, Greg, what about uh, employers who are requiring vaccinations for their employees? In every jurisdiction I practice, whether it's Longshore, New Jersey, New York, it doesn't matter. Yes, if the employer is requiring or mandating a vaccine as part of the return to work or as any part of their, the work requirements, then yes, an adverse reaction to that vaccine uh, would absolutely become compensable. So that's something to be careful about. Um, here at Lois Law Firm, I am encouraging my employees to get a vaccine. And the way we encourage them was to tell them, hey, it's voluntary. If you want to get one, you should get one, comma, but I'm going to give you two extra free PTO days to go get your vaccine. So we're trying to reduce um, maybe the uh, reluctance or the pushback on getting a vaccine uh, by giving them free PTO days. I don't think that's going to create any liability for us as the employer. Uh, I think that's the, probably the right way to approach it. If any of your um, clients are asking you, hey, can I mandate everyone to get this vaccine? I don't want any sick people here. Can I get them to do it? The answer is no, you can encourage, but remain, keep it voluntary because if you don't and there's a reaction to the vaccine, and by the way, this is a relatively new and relatively unknown vaccine, um, then yes, we would be exposed for the adverse reaction. All right, and that's all the questions I got for today. I hope you join us next month. Uh, we're going to be looking at post-trial actions in New Jersey. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I look forward to seeing everybody there. All right, everybody, I hope you have a great week uh, and a better 2021 than 2020. All right, see you.